Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Three, two, one. But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 268 of the podcast that is Sweeping America. The Aerator Sports Podcast. It is Monday, June 8th, 2020. And I'll tell you this, if you're a fan of any SEC football program right now, it is a great day for you as college kids are back on campus at many of these campuses across America. And I have what I believe to be another great show for you today. And it's crazy, right? Because every single week, I feel like almost since this pandemic has started, I've said, man, Considering that most of us are stuck at home and thankfully most people are out now, they're able to move around a little bit more, I am amazed at how much good content that we've had throughout this pandemic. And it is again the case, this is maybe one of the most important shows that I will do all summer because we had a huge ripple effect in college basketball on Friday, Oklahoma State, the first of all the schools involved with the FBI trials to get punished by the NCAA, and they got what I believe to be a major, major, major punishment, including a one-year postseason ban, and that has huge ripple effects, not only at Oklahoma State, but the college basketball world as a whole, as Cade Cunningham, the number one high school player in America, one of the best high school players that I've ever seen, is currently at Oklahoma State. Does this mean that he will transfer, go to the G League? I will talk about what I've heard, what I know, and also, it's a huge, huge story for the rest of college basketball, as Kansas, Louisville, Arizona, schools like that are now on the clock relative to what we learned at Oklahoma State. Also, I just mentioned a minute ago, many players back on campus across college football, across college basketball in the SEC, and it's very interesting. You know, I've done these COVID updates throughout the summer, throughout the spring. I'm going to do another quick one today because I do think there's been an interesting development as many players are back on campus, and frankly, many players are testing positive. Alabama had five positive tests on their football team. Oklahoma State's had three. Ole Miss has had a handful. Texas A&M has had a handful. I actually think this is a good thing. Listen, I've been one of the positive voices, I believe, in this COVID-19 epidemic relative to sports, and I actually think this is a good thing. It sounds crazy, but I'll explain why. And I will wrap a little bit with the Mike Norvell story from last week, and, and really, I guess the only reason I'm wrapping, because some of you do have interest, because 
I had what I believe to be a differing opinion on that story than a lot of people. And frankly, I was kind of attacked on social media. It's not a big deal. You guys know AT just brushes that stuff off his shoulders. But it was a wild Thursday for me as I kind of found myself in the middle of one of these social media storms that have been coming up left and right. I just want to tell you a little bit about what happened, my version of the events. I was attacked mercilessly, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic, I really was, by a lot of people in the media, and I will just explain why I would not have personally put out that Mike Norvell quote the way that it did come out. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. If you want to leave a nice review, let us know what you like, how much you like AT, how I've gotten you through hopefully this quarantine. Feel free to leave a rating and review. Also, social media. I say it all the time. If you want more AT, find me on Instagram. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. As an example, when the Cade Cunningham news broke on Friday, I went on Instagram and did a live video there. So if you want more AT, that is the best place to get me. Also, you can find me on Facebook, Aaron Torres Writer, Aaron Torres on YouTube. And finally, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. At some point, we'll do a mailbag here, but it feels like we have so much to talk about. Anything you want answered, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, people, no more time to waste. I should mention, by the way, no guests today. I just felt like there was so much good stuff to get to that there is no guests. And as I've mentioned time and time and time again over the last couple weeks, as many of you are getting back to a sense of normalcy, maybe in the car more, maybe back working out at the gym, I do encourage you because I did have some great guests over the course of this quarantine. Obi Toppin, the National Player of the Year, a guy I believe could be the number one, number two pick in this upcoming NBA draft. Uh, Jim Calhoun, Rick Barnes, Patrick Patterson, Mason Jones, Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, a lot of great names in the sport of basketball and beyond. I encourage you to go listen to those interviews. If you haven't, they are not topical. You can kind of just, uh, you know, jump in and, 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 you know, I think you'll enjoy them is what I am trying to say. Okay, what did I say? No more time to waste. And the big story, like I said, Oklahoma State becoming the first school that was part of these FBI trials to go th- to get to the completion of the punishment stage, right? And so I've spent so much time over the last couple weeks because all these schools are kind of at a different point. Uh, I, I've explained it many, many, many times, but a school like Louisville, for example, is at the very beginning stages. They have just gotten the notice of allegations. The notice of all- allegations basically is the NCA has come to your campus. They have talked to people. They have talked to the guilty parties that they believe is guilty, and they put together a report called the notice of allegations, give it to the school and tell you what they've done wrong, okay? That's the first step. I'll give you a better example. Kansas is at the second step, really the third step. Kansas uh, got their notice of allegations back in, I guess it was about October or November. They have already replied to the notice of allegations, and the NCA has essentially replied to their reply. So Kansas getting more towards the finish line. And then we have Oklahoma State, which is at the absolute finish line. And on Friday, just a surreal moment in time. As Oklahoma State, I think for lack of a better term, was absolutely hammered 
by the NCAA. For people who did not see, they will have a one-year postseason ban for the 2020-2021 NCAA tournament. They will have scholarship reductions. They will have to pay fines. And the assistant coach who was alleged, not alleged, he did take money. He was found guilty in a court of law. He got a 10-year show cause, which means that he'll essentially be unhirable at the college level for 10 years. It is probably worth mentioning two quick things. One, if that uh, uh, punishment for the coach feels extreme, he did not cooperate with the NCAA. He refused to help them in any way, shape, or form. And also, it's probably worth mentioning that Oklahoma State will appeal these violations because it feels preposterous. And let me get into why. And what I will say very quickly is this, is on Friday after this news hit, I did do kind of a very emotionally charged reaction to this news. And I and I think I kind of didn't really put my best foot forward. And it's not often that I say, oh, AT screwed up or, oh, you know, I get opinions wrong all the time. But very rarely do I, does it come from an emotional place rather than a well-thought-out place. And we'll get to why it was emotional in a minute. But I do think that some of you, because some of you did slide into my DMs privately and say, like, dude, I don't know that I agree with that, man. And that's, by the way, putting it very nicely the way that some of you, you said it. But um, it, it was an emotionally charged situation. Many of you reached out and said, like, dude, you got to punish Oklahoma State. Like, they broke the rules. This is ridiculous. Well, I agree with that part. I would never once ever say that you should not punish a school that is guilty of breaking NCAA rules. Of course you have to punish them. That's why the system is in place. That's why you have the NCAA enforcement staff to make sure that rules are fair and rules are in line and all that kind of stuff. And so why do I bring it up? It is because while a school has to be punished, when you actually look at what Oklahoma State did, it's basically nothing, especially relative to a Louisville, relative to a Kansas. And it was one of the kind of quote unquote simpler cases in this process in the sense that it was like, okay, Oklahoma State's kind of an afterthought because if you really looked at the details of what happened, again, it's actually pretty minor. So what happened at Oklahoma State? They had an assistant coach named Lamont Evans who was actually at South Carolina when all of this started. So South Carolina also is involved in this. And Lamont Evans comes to Oklahoma State. He's there for a year under Brad Underwood. The current head coach, Mike Boynton, keeps him on staff. And Mike Boynton, and, or Lamont Evans, excuse me, this is the assistant coach, Lamont Evans. Mike Boynton had nothing to do with this. He did nothing wrong, which we'll get into all that in a minute. Uh, the, the assistant coach, Lamont Evans, basically over a two, three-year period is just collecting a ton of money from a bunch of different people uh, and it goes back to the FBI stuff, right? It was financial advisors, it was agents, it was people that were basically looking to act at, looking to get access to elite high school and college basketball players. And so this guy, Lamont Evans, was basically playing one guy against the other, against the other, against the other, against the other, taking this much from this guy, that much from that guy. And in total, he took at least $18,000 under the table. And some speculation is as much as $40,000. Now that sounds terrible. I get that. Here's the catch though. Lamont Evans took all that money and put it in his own pocket. In total, the NCAA found that he gave $300 out of at minimum $18,000 to anyone other than himself. It was to an Oklahoma State basketball player named Jeffrey Carroll, who's obviously no longer with the team, and he kept the rest. 
And so Oklahoma State's argument, which I think is completely fair, is that this wasn't Kansas where the head coach is basically working with Adidas to land recruits. This isn't Louisville where at the very least an assistant coach is working with Adidas to get Brian Bowen $100,000. This was a guy that went rogue. The NCAA even admits the head coach, Mike Boynton, had no idea. The players on the roster really had no idea except for the kid that got $300 who, oh, by the way, was suspended. None of that money, the kid was suspended for three games and already paid his penance, if you will, to the NCAA. Outside of that, nobody knew, and Oklahoma State got no benefit. It's not as though the guy took the twenty-five or the eighteen thousand dollars and gave ten thousand to one recruit and five thousand to another and eight hundred to this guy and two. He took all the money for himself. And so Oklahoma State, if you just read the reports, if you listen to the impassioned uh, speaking, the voices of both the AD Mike Holder, the head coach Mike Boynton, what you see is a school that was absolutely blindsided in this process. And I think fairly, and again, you can argue that a school has to be punished. I cannot argue against that. But as Mike Boynton, the head coach, pointed out, most of this stuff happened. All of this stuff happened. We're talking 2015, 2016, 2017 when this coach was arrested. I could be mistaken. I don't believe there are any players currently on the roster that were at Oklahoma State when this went down. And so what Mike Boynton said was, you're punishing kids that were 15 and 16 years old when this happened that had nothing to do with it. As a general rule, I should also add this. If you're going to give out a postseason ban... I always think it should be at least a year in advance. And so if you're going to hand out a postseason ban, it shouldn't be until at least the following year so that if a player is a senior or a player is um, set to enroll as a freshman, that they have the opportunity to leave if they don't want to be there. I mean, Oklahoma State's actually a pretty young team. But if you're a senior, it's June, and you just got told you have no chance to play in the NCAA tournament, that's really unfair. Fair. And so I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's a 2022 postseason ban. I don't know if it's a scholarship reduction. I don't know if it's a fine of the school. But really, if anything, the NCAA should be going after the assistant coach who was involved, and they did a 10-year show cause. Now, and this is the important part, why am I so fired up about Oklahoma State? It's for two big reasons. This has two major ramifications across the bow in college basketball. When I talk about earth-shattering, I mean earth-shattering. And so what's the first one? The first one pertains to this season specifically. It pertains specifically to a young man named Cade Cunningham. And I would assume that anybody listening to this show who likes AT, who wants to download a show like this, would probably know who Cade Cunningham is. But for people who don't, he was the number one high school player in America this year. And a guy who is actually headed to Oklahoma State chose Oklahoma State over Kentucky and North Carolina. Obvious question, why did he choose Oklahoma State over North Carolina and Kentucky? Well, his brother is on staff there. We can save the argument for another day of whether he would have gone somewhere else if his brother wasn't on staff. But the point remains, the number one high school player in America is either at Oklahoma State as we speak or was set to go to campus there, and his one season in college basketball just got whooshed away, barring some incredible um, appeal that, that I think would be relatively unprecedented. I don't think the NCAA has ever overturned its own decision. Um, 
But this is huge, and let me tell you why. So, so, so to even backtrack a little bit, I should mention this with Cade Cunningham. I tell you this all the time. All five-star recruits are not created equal. I had a major college coach, a major assistant coach, tell me this one time. I've said it on this podcast many times. Aaron, even within McDonald's All-Americans, there are different tiers. And the, the quote that he used, which stayed with me forever, when you go to McDonald's, you can order a Big Mac... You can also order a dollar menu. You get the both, you get the both, you get the dollar cheeseburger and you get the Big Mac, both of them at McDonald's. And what is the analogy there? It's that when it comes to high school basketball recruits, even within the elite of the elite, there are the Big Macs, the Zion Williamsons, the Anthony Davises, the RJ Barrett's, the John Walls. Then there are the guys that are like the dollar cheeseburgers. And maybe they develop into a two, three-year college star. Maybe they don't develop at all. Maybe they go pro before they're ready. But I bring all this up to say, Cade Cunningham is about the biggest Big Mac that I've ever seen. And what do I mean by that? Cade Cunningham is one of the most gifted high school players that I have ever seen covering this sport. I have seen basically every high school player of relevance in high school since about 2013, 2014. And there are only two guys that I ever remember the first time I walked in the gym, I said... That, to me, looks like a number one overall draft pick. The first one was Ben Simmons, who I saw at the Nike Skills Academy in Los Angeles prior to his freshman year at LSU. He was on the court with a bunch of NBA players and was the second best player on the court besides James Harden, significantly better than everybody in college that that year. And the second one is Cade Cunningham. And Cade Cunningham, I was so looking forward to seeing him play college basketball this year And now I really do think that, I don't even think, I think it's pretty common knowledge if you follow this story from Friday to Monday morning, I think it's pretty realistic that he probably won't play college basketball. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that with Oklahoma State out of the NCAA tournament right now, barring an appeal, that kid, his family, have a really, really, really tough decision to make. That decision, of course, is do I stay at Oklahoma State because my brother's here, because this is our one last year to kind of be boys before we go our separate ways? Do I stay here hoping that there's an appeal? Because I got options. You know, I I came to Oklahoma State in part because of my brother, in part because I want to play college basketball, but I got other options. One, he could transfer to another school. I just don't see that happening. I don't see him leaving another school. I will say this, though. Kentucky was the number two choice, and if he went to another school, if he went to Kentucky... That would be the consensus preseason number one team. And if they got Olivier Saar eligible, I mean, I think that's the overwhelming national championship favorite. I said this when Cade Cunningham took his official visit to Kentucky. They already had Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston committed. I said, if Cade Cunningham goes there, I will put the talent in that top three right up there with Zion, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish. Don't know if all three of those guys will end up as top 10 picks, but I would put that talent right up there with anybody. I don't think Cade Cunningham will choose another college option, though. I think realistically, he's going to sit there and say, look, Jalen Green just made 500 grand going to the G League to basically train for a year and get ready for the NBA. Jeff Goodman reported that Cade Cunningham had a very similar offer to join the program and turn it down and go play with his brother at Oklahoma State. There's also the overseas option where you can actually play games. 
And I think Cade Cunningham has a really tough decision to make. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and say what I think he should do. What I Listen, selfishly, I want him to play college basketball. He's a great player. And I would add this, an incredible kid, just total salt of the earth, class. I, I've interviewed him a couple times one-on-one. Just I'm talking the nicest kid on the planet, so well put together, so polished. I wanted him in college basketball next year because I thought – that he would be an incredible ambassador for the sport. A guy that wants to be in college, a guy that's a star, and a guy that I believe is eventually going to be the number one pick in next year's draft. And this is why I freaked out on Friday afternoon, and I'm sorry for those of you who saw me in full AT freakout mode, but this is a really important moment in time in college basketball, and let me tell you why. If Kate Cunningham chooses this G League option, I think it, it could be essentially a death knell for college basketball ever getting truly elite talent on the college campus again. Let me explain why. Had Cade Cunningham been able to play at Oklahoma State, had he been able to play in the NCAA tournament, I believe that he was good enough to elevate Oklahoma State. This wasn't going to be Anthony Edwards at Georgia. It wasn't going to be Markel Fultz at Washington. It wasn't going to be Ben Simmons at LSU. I believe this guy with the talent around him would have gotten to the NCAA tournament and become really one of the faces of college basketball. And I believe he would have been the number one pick in next year's draft. And he would have been the number one pick. And what would have happened was college basketball in a time where every player is looking for the shortest route to the pros, they would have had something to hang their hat on, right? R.J. Hampton goes overseas, James Wiseman quits midseason, Jalen Green is going to the G League, and Cade Cunningham was going to come to college and I believe would have ended up as the number one pick in the draft. But if he goes to the G League, I think you're talking about for sure the top two picks in the draft, Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, in either order. And then on Sunday afternoon, Jonathan Kaminga, who was the number one junior in the country, reclassified, graduated from high school. Now he is coming into the class of 2020 and all reports and everything that I've heard is that he will take a professional path as well. And so you're talking about now potentially the top three picks in the NBA draft next season, all coming through one of these professional path programs, whether it is the college level or excuse me, whether it is in Australia, overseas, or more likely in the G League. And if you get the top three picks out of this program, why does any other elite kid ever want to go to college? You mean to tell me I don't have to go to class, I don't have to go to school, I can practice as much as I want, I can make good money, I'm going to take that option every time because it's, it, it's a path that will be proven to get you to pro basketball, get you to the, the best of the best in the NBA. If we get the top three picks or three out of the top four picks or three out of the top five picks, it's going to happen. And so I thought that while, yes, you have to punish Oklahoma State, I'm not saying that you're not, I think it's incredibly tone deaf by the NCAA and it drives me crazy, and this is what I freaked out about the other day, that they're essentially pushing Cade Cunningham out of college basketball, and for the second year in a row, they're pushing out maybe the most marketable player in the sport. Last year, it was James Wiseman. Listen, you can criticize James Wiseman for quitting his team midseason, all that stuff, but never forget, he came into that season having no idea that his mother took money from Penny Hardaway years ago 
And that's why they moved to Memphis. James Wiseman didn't know. His mom worked that out privately with Penny Hardaway. Never forget the NCAA cleared James Wiseman. There were issues with James Wiseman. They let him play, and then they come back six months later and say, ah, you know what, we kind of heard some stuff, and we're going to have to check into this, and you know what, Penny Hardaway was a booster. Say what you want about James Wiseman. He wanted to play college basketball. Then on top of that, after they cleared him and retroactively made him ineligible, they gave him a 13-game suspension. They gave him a 13-game suspension, and, and I know you can blame James Wiseman, some you can blame Memphis, the adults around him, for actually playing James Wiseman when they should have sat him. But the NCAA still could have shown some, what's the right word, could, could, have, could have, they didn't have to do what they did, right? There were, every report that you saw from coming out of Memphis was that James Wiseman sat out because he believed that he would end up with a six-game suspension. And those reports don't come out if there wasn't some kind of communication between Indianapolis, between Memphis, that basically said, look, if you do what we want, we are going to take care of you. We promise we're not going to crush you. And then they crushed him. James Wiseman wanted to play college basketball, but when he tell him to sit out 13 games, which is the third of the season, he just said, screw it. Some agent's going to pay me to go train. I'm going to go train. And now fast forward to this Cade Cunningham. I'm telling you. This could be, I'm not trying to be exaggerating or facetious, this could be the death knell of college basketball because if the top three picks all come out of this program, everybody in, 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 in amateur basketball is looking at this program to see how it works. And if they get the top three picks out of there, man, I don't know why Imani Bates wants to go to college. I don't know why Mikey Williams, the number one freshman in America, wants to go to college, why Bronny James wants to go to I don't know why any of these guys would want to go to college. So I don't know what's going to happen. I'm recording here uh, about 6, 7 o'clock on Sunday night. Uh, as of Sunday night, there's really no major update on Cade Cunningham. And I don't think Cade Cunningham knows what he wants to do because I think he was blindsided like everybody else. It will be fascinating to watch, though. Selfishly, I do hope we get to see him play college basketball. I think it would be surreal if we got to see him play college basketball at Kentucky because I, I, that would just be the super team to end all super teams. But I think it's realistic. He's probably going to take a pro path. It's really hard to turn down that money. And I think the NCAA from now until the end of time will really kick themselves for it. I should mention, by the way, I did talk about Jonathan Kaminga, the number one junior in America, class of 2021, who reclassified. It became official on Sunday. And I'll tell you this, I talked about him a few episodes ago. I don't see it being likely that he plays college basketball. He cut his list to five about two weeks ago, which is four colleges plus the G League. So it's the G League, Kentucky, Duke, Texas Tech, and Auburn. All accounts that I've heard is that he actually, in a college scenario, would favor Texas Tech. The reason being that his brother, Jolin Tomway, is there. But that realistically, people behind the scenes are helping him get set up to potentially go to the G League and make some money. All right. I'm going to transition to COVID and all that stuff in a moment, but I do want to talk about a second big variable that came out of what happened on Friday with the Oklahoma State News. And that is, of course, what does it mean for other programs in college basketball? And I will say this. I think most people in the media, that was the first place they went. My, my, my brain went to Cade Cunningham. He's going to the G League. College basketball is going to suck forever. And I'm being that part I'm being facetious about. 
college basketball will survive. The good programs will still get good players. But I do think that college basketball, look, especially in a season like next year where the NBA is not probably going to start until mid to late December, college basketball had a huge window to turn Cade Cunningham into a star, and I don't know if they're going to do it. I really don't. I do want to talk about the other programs involved, though, and I do think it's kind of a fascinating moment in time because I will tell you, this sent shockwaves to programs all across the country. And it sent shockwaves to the programs that were directly tied to the FBI trial. And think about those programs. Oklahoma State just got a one-year postseason ban because of one level one violation. For people who don't understand that, what that means, a level one violation is like the, the, the worst things that you can do, according, the worst rules that you can break according to the NCAA rulebook. Oklahoma State broke one of them and they got a one-year postseason ban. Kansas broke five of them. So Kansas, like in theory, they are really screwed. Louisville, of course, is a repeat offender dating back to the stripper gate with Katina Powell scandal. Arizona, of course, we don't really know what's going on there. They had an assistant coach take money similar to Oklahoma State. LSU, it's still kind of shady as to what we really actually know happened at LSU. Uh, I will say I've talked to enough people that think that the NCAA does have some stuff on Will Wade, that his time is coming. None of it is official. None of it is on the record. None of it we know about other than him on that wiretap talking about a huge-ass offer or a big-ass offer or whatever it was uh, for a recruit that was Javante Smart. And so this is the other really big topic that came out of this Oklahoma State situation is what happens to those schools. And all I'll say really quickly is this. I am not ready yet to draw the direct parallel line between Oklahoma State with relatively minor violations getting a one-year postseason ban and Kansas getting royally screwed and Louisville getting royally screwed and even Arizona getting royally screwed. And the reason why is because the NCAA, this is what they've been doing for 50 years, 100 years. Nothing they do relates to the other thing. Nothing they do makes any sense relative to what everybody else is going through. And so it really is kind of impossible to know what to expect from them because they threw the book at Oklahoma State. Now, do I think they have to come down pretty hard on Louisville? I do. Do I think they have to come down pretty hard on Kansas? I do. I'd also be naive enough to say, I'm also not naive enough to say, Kansas is by far the most profitable, marketable program in the Big 12. Kansas, the Big 12 needs Kansas to be good. The NCAA needs Kansas to be good. CBS, ESPN, they need Kansas to be good. And so if you're going to sit here and say to me that because Oklahoma State got a one-year uh, postseason ban because of one level one rules violation, that means that Kansas is going to get a three, four, five-year ban, I just don't know that I see it. And I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's right. But I am saying, like, this stuff matters. Big Monday is going to kind of suck if Kansas is irrelevant. Sorry, call me crazy. Don't really want to watch Oklahoma against Kansas State. I'd rather just watch Kansas be awesome. And I'm not making excuses for Kansas. I'm not saying I'm rooting that they don't get punished. I'm just trying to be realistic here. So to me, I don't know that I'm ready yet to say like, oh, well, Oklahoma State got this, so it means Kansas is going to get that. I think it will be fascinating to see. I think it will be interesting to see. And I'm just curious because Kansas is one of the schools that's up on deck next. And I'm also curious if there is any way that Oklahoma State has a way to battle this and get the postseason band overturned. I just don't know how it happens. Keep in mind, when you appeal an NCAA violation or you appeal an NCAA punishment, 
you have to appeal it to the NCAA. So the people that found you guilty, you have to convince them that they were wrong in finding you guilty of what they're accusing you of. I just don't know how it happens. I feel bad for Oklahoma State. I feel bad for the players. And I just think this is such a bad, bad situation with Cade Cunningham, who is an incredible kid. All right, really quickly, I want to hit on two more topics that really kind of popped this weekend that I really think are really kind of interesting and relevant to talk about. The first one, throughout this probably last six-week period or so, I think I've pretty consistently given you updates on COVID-19 and what it means for, for sports in general. And if you remember, it all kind of started in that weird window where there was all kinds of crazy reports coming out about California. Uh, oh, you know, California is going to be in lockdown until the end of July. Well, guess what? Today is Monday, June 8th. On June 5th, Friday, I went out and I had lunch at a restaurant. Didn't happen. San Diego State, Fresno State, San Jose State, there are no kids on campus. San Diego State's already said we're playing football season one way or the other. So that was really where I started with all of this. And then it kind of evolved into some of you really liked the idea of me kind of keeping you updated. What's going on with Major League Baseball? It's a disaster. What's going on with the NBA? It's actually at a pretty good place. Um, and if you're really curious, I actually did a post for Kentucky Sports Radio about where all the sports are relative to either coming back, are they back, when are they planning on coming back. As of right now, everything from NASCAR to UFC to boxing, golf is coming back. Those first three that I mentioned, NASCAR, UFC, boxing are back. Golf is coming back. The NBA is coming back. Uh, really the only two that haven't made any type of official announcement, Major League Baseball, because they're arguing, which is it's a terrible look for Major League Baseball, and tennis, in tennis's defense, they have a bunch of players from overseas. They have a bunch of player, they have a bunch of tournaments overseas, and so it probably is going to be a while before tennis gets back up. But everything is trending in the right direction. By the way, I should give a quick shout out. Shout out of the day. Remember I used to do shout out of the day? Shout out of the day goes to the PBR, the Professional Bull Riders Association. Uh, professional bull riders. Why? They came back on April 25th. They were the first sport back, and they have said the weekend, I believe it's like July 9th through 11th, 10th through 12th, they're actually going to have fans in the stands. And so they are the first sport to actually announce we are going to have fans in the stands, and this is what it's going to look like. So shout out to the PBR. And by the way, I may, I may try to get somebody from the PBR on this show. What else do I have to do? There's, it's the middle of June. Nothing's going on. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Okay, back on topic. And the reason I'm kind of redoing the COVID thing is for this reason. As I mentioned off the top, today is June 8th. Well, that is kind of knowledge. I didn't really didn't need to mention that. But June 8th is a huge day. SEC football programs, SEC programs in general can have both their basketball and football players back on campus for workouts, whatever. And what has happened is, obviously, in the lead-up to June 8th, players are getting back, getting set up, whatever. And we've actually had a lot of positive tests. And so I went back and I, I looked it up to make sure this was right. Ole Miss was the first one I saw. They had one player and one staffer test positive for COVID-19 when everybody came back to campus. Alabama actually had five players test positive for COVID-19. Texas A&M... Their AD said we had under five, which sounds like four to me. He's trying not to freak everybody out. They had four. Oklahoma State had three. And Auburn on Sunday announced they had three. 
And so I think a lot of people are looking at and saying, oh my God, it's so bad. This, this, this virus is still going on. It's awful. All these guys are testing positive. That's like 20-ish guys in five schools. Imagine how many there are across the country. But I actually think, believe it or not, I actually think this is a positive sign going forward. And you're going to think I'm crazy, but let me explain why I think it's a positive sign going forward. First of all, we should mention that of those 20 or so cases, it's somewhere between like 16 and 20, every single person has been asymptomatic. That is a great, incredible sign going forward that all of these guys are asymptomatic. But I also think when you just extrapolate it out, there are, whatever, 20-ish players at six schools, so that's 20 out of 550 to 600 people that are testing positive right now. It really makes you wonder, and by the way, they're all asymptomatic, positive, that's a good thing, right? It really makes you wonder how many people have already had this illness and we had no idea. Think about it. First of all, these players would not report to campus if they were super sick or had a crazy temperature or whatever. They wouldn't report. The, the school wouldn't want them to report. So the fact that they all came, all were tested, and we have like 20 players at six schools means that there's probably dozens, if not hundreds, across the country of players who have already been exposed to it. Even better, they've all battled it away. The fact that these guys were all tested positive means that that they're not even they're asymptomatic means that their body was fighting off the illness naturally that is an incredibly good sign and again if you want to extrapolate it out by the way I should mention it happened on campus so they're not exposing anybody else so that's a great sign too which we'll get to in a minute but if you want a positive out of this it's that all these guys tested positive and none of them had any idea which probably means that dozens of them have had it throughout the offseason now you may be saying AT that's crazy I actually told you this, well, really, two months ago. I mean, listen, I'll say this. I'm not right on everything. I never would claim to be right on everything. I know I'm Nostra Torres. I'm amazing. But I'm not right on everything. But one thing I try to do is gather factual information and deliver it here. And so while I'm far from a medical expert, this is what I can tell you. You can go back to the episode from March 12th the day the NCAA tournament was canceled, and listen to what I said. And what I said was, because I was in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament when the, NCAA, when the NBA completely canceled their season, I was in Vegas, could have gone out, could have had fun. Instead, I stayed in my room and really read up on this. And even back then, people were asymptomatic. The, 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 the data out of Europe was that the vast majority of people testing positive in a lot of these countries like Germany where they had advanced testing, people were testing positive that didn't even realize they had it. So even back then, that was a positive sign that has really been extrapolated out to now. And I told you this probably about two, three, four weeks ago. Remember this story? Because I think it was one of the more important stories that I've told relative to COVID-19 on this show. And that story was very simply this. Is that there was a USC study done on the antibodies, on people testing, on testing for antibodies. And what antibodies means is this, is people getting tested that had the illness and fought it off naturally. And it was a USC study. They had done them all over the country, but the one at USC stood out to me because I live in Los Angeles. 
This test was done in April. They tested 863 people. It's almost 1,000 people. And of those 863 people, about 4% tested positive for the antibodies, which means that they had already had the illness and had absolutely no idea. And when you extrapolated that out, that 4% to the entire population of Los Angeles, that's 360,000 people in Los Angeles that probably had it that didn't even realize it. I think I had it. I was in Las Vegas two days before the world shut down. You know how many people from all over the world were traveling into that city at that exact moment? I can't say I did. I can't promise you I did. And, And I'm not claiming to be a medical expert, but what I am doing is taking the data and informing myself, which in turn tries to inform you guys. I'm not trying to tell you how you should feel. If you're not comfortable leaving your house, you shouldn't. If you're not comfortable without a mask, you shouldn't. But if you can go to a restaurant and you are comfortable sitting six feet apart from people, sit down and have a beer. That's my personal opinion. You can disagree, but that is my personal opinion. As far as the football players are concerned, I would also add one other really important thing. And that is that this also plays into a second thing that I have been telling you from the beginning, which is this, that the best place players can actually be is on campus. And you have all these negative people in media, it's not safe, keep them at home, keep them locked up. That's actually completely wrong. What's right is, is that no matter what you think about this illness, no matter what you think about, by the way, about college athletics in general, college basketball, college football get crushed. But the one thing you can't say about college athletics, get tested on campus, get tested all the time, and if you have it, you have access to the best doctors in the world. UCLA Medical Center is one of the best hospitals in the world. Duke Medical Center is one of the best hospitals in the world. You got access to the best medical professionals in the world. And so the safest place you can actually be is on campus. And then, oh, by the way, you're only with your peers. You're only with young people. And you're away from mom and dad. You're away from grandma and grandpa. So think about all these guys that have been carrying this illness and had no idea. Thank goodness they're on campus. Thank goodness they're not at home going to visit grandma at her house. Maybe grandma lives with him. Maybe his parents have some kind of illness. And so, again, I'm not trying to be an expert, but I think this is a, or I'm not trying to be a medical expert. I think this is a positive sign. I think this is a good thing. And I think we're going to continue to see positive tests as more and more schools report. Don't freak out. It's actually a good thing. All right, I do want to wrap with one quick, it turned into kind of a funny story, but enough of you asked me about it that I want to address it here. And that is what happened with Mike Norvell, the head coach of Florida State football, earlier, late last week. And for people who did not see this Twitter blow-up dust-up, I basically questioned something that happened with that story. It was originally reported by The Athletic, and I had basically the entire athletic staff come after me. So let's get into it. Uh, bottom line, for people who missed this story, um, Mike Norvell, head coach, Florida State. It was, of course, in the middle of everything that was going on in the world around us, still is going on. We've talked about it. I'm not going to get into it. But a reporter from The Athletic, my understanding based on other tweets that this reporter put out, his name is Tashawn Reed. For the record, I don't know him. I don't like him. I don't dislike him. I had many people text me, tell me he's a very good reporter. So this is not me going after him personally. I have no personal vendetta against, I really don't have any personal vendetta against anybody. But the bottom line remains this, is that he called up Mike Norvell for a story that was not related to the protests and this and that and the other thing. 
And he did ask him a question about the peaceful protest. And when that happened, he got a really good answer from Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell told him, I called all 85 guys on this team, and we talked about it one-on-one, and, you know, it's a, it's a really important subject to me. That's a great answer. Unfortunately, it was completely false. But the reporter transcribed that answer, put it out on Twitter, and immediately a player saw it and said, that coach is full of crap. He never did that. He never reached out to us one-on-one. What is that guy talking about? And so that immediately turned into a national story. It got squashed at Florida State. Um, It got squashed at Florida State. They worked through it, whatever. But I, naturally, being on social media, it's part of my job. I've actually found myself less and less on social media lately because of what's going on. Um, Not because of what's going on, but I just think it's a very negative, toxic place. I mean, it's important to have important conversations, but um, I, I do find it to be a relatively negative, toxic place at this exact moment. But I was on social media, I saw the report, I saw the kid called the coach a total liar, and I kind of put out a tweet where I just basically said, like, look, the coach is a total idiot. What a dummy, why would he say that? But I also think it's a little bit on the reporter for putting this quote out there. And so I didn't think about much about it, had a couple people call me out in the morning, and then the reporter tweeted it from his personal account, my original tweet, that said... And he basically said, what are you talking about? How would I, why would I not put that quote out? What are you talking about? And I kind of understand it from his perspective. But then every single writer from The Athletic came after me, basically calling me all sorts of names, demanding I apologize. You don't know what you're talking about. Blah, 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 this and that. And the other thing, to the point that, one, I turned off social media. But two, when I turned it back on, I was like, oh, my God. I didn't know I started this crap storm. And so then I put out another tweet that I basically said, look, I've been offline for a while, um, but I see a lot of people are upset that I said that I would not have put out the Mike Norvell quote without confirming it with somebody else. And when, when I say confirm, I mean, I would have loved to, to, if it was me, and I'll explain why in a minute, if it was me and Mike Norvell told me that, I would not put out that quote from my personal Twitter page without talking to a second person whether it was another assistant coach on the staff who maybe knew about Mike Norvell's plan to call all 85 guys, a parent of a player, a player himself, whoever. I personally wouldn't have done it. So when I saw everybody getting mad, all I did was I said, been offline for a while. I see everybody's mad that I said that I wouldn't have used the Mike Norvell quote without talking to a second source. And then I said, if that makes me the worst person in the world, well, my wife tells me that all the time. And so that made people even more mad. You need to apologize, blah, 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 this and that. And so very briefly, I just want to explain my personal opinion on this whole situation. And again, this is not me attacking the reporter. He seems, everyone tells me he's a a great reporter, great at his job. I just want to explain my perspective because some of you have asked me about it. And so that perspective is very simply this, is that when you talk to coaches, you talk to people all the time. You know, there's, there's something called on the record and off the record. On the record means that, a co- that, that the, co- the coach or the player or whomever knows that the recorder is rolling. Then there's off the record where I'll call up, you know, John Smith, the head coach at UCLA, and that's I'm just making that up. And we just kind of BS, and, you know, he'll say, hey, man, don't quote me on this, or this is off the record, blah, 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 but, you know, whatever we're going to get a great recruit or we're going to schedule this team or whatever. And so this quote to the reporter's credit was on the record. 
But where my issue came in was that, and maybe this is too much inside baseball for you, and I promise I'll wrap it up quickly and maybe you don't care. But where my issue came in was very simply this. He called up one of the most prominent coaches in the sport in one of the most, you know, uh, uh, one of the most prominent people in that state about a different topic and kind of just asked him in passing, my understanding from what he said, asked him in passing about the situation. And to me, what happened next is what's interesting, is that he chose to not use the quote um, in a story about, you know, how different colleges are handling injustice and all that stuff, how Florida State's handling it. He decided to put it on his personal Twitter page. And the one thing about journalism, and I'm sure some of the guys from The Athletic are listening, maybe they'll disagree, maybe they'll start another crap storm with me, I don't know. What I was taught, and I did go to journalism school, never make yourself a part of the story. And so when you take a quote that isn't an opinion, Mike Norvell was not stating, hey, it'd be really cool if I called all 85 guys. He was saying, I did call all 85 guys. When, you are, when you're taking a quote and putting it on your personal Twitter page, you are making yourself a part of the story. And so for me, I would not have put that quote out there. And I had all these guys from The Athletic and Girls, oh, so you confirm every single thing. And when you had Rick Barnes in your podcast, you confirmed every single fact he said. No, but it's different when the recording is in public. If Rick Barnes says, yeah, you know, uh, Grant Williams is going to be my best player next year and he's going to average 25 a game, it's not really on me to confirm that Grant Williams is not on the Tennessee roster going into next year. It's kind of out there for public knowledge. And so for me, when he put it on his personal Twitter page, he did, in essence, make himself a part of the story. Again, it wasn't part of a story that was on The Athletic. It wasn't said in a podcast or radio interview. It was something that he was attaching his personal name to. And I think that's important in our industry. Jay Glazer says this all the time. People say, Jay Glazer, why don't you break more stuff on Twitter? He goes, I don't work for Twitter. I work for Fox Sports. And this gentleman, who again, for the thousandth time, I don't want people to think this was a personal attack on this guy, but he works for The Athletic. He's calling on behalf of The Athletic, and he put it on his personal Twitter page. And so to me, that is where the issue arose. And I wanted to put all this out there, by the way, because I had one person after the other, after the other, after the other attacking me, and you can't fight off a Twitter mob. You can't fight off a Twitter mob, and context matters. And that is the context of this story. That is why I would not have put it out there on my personal Twitter page. Now, if I, ha- if I worked for a company, ESPN, Fox, The Athletic, whatever, and every single you know, beat writer was asked, call your coach and ask him or her what they're doing to fight injustice, that's different. That is different in my eyes. And so it was disappointing to me the way that people attacked me and like, I don't really care. I got over it. I thought my mic drop was pretty funny, to be honest. People didn't think it was funny. It just made them more mad. But what I would say in passing, in closing, is this. Is that, um, one, you know, I'm just going to say because this is my space to say what I want. If the writer thought I was personally attacking him, I will apologize for that. But I am not going to apologize for what I said. I would not have done it. If that makes me a bad person, so be it. I have to do what I believe is best for me, what I believe is best for my bosses, et cetera, et cetera. And again, it's different when a coach makes a factual statement, I did this versus, hey, I think we can be an NCAA tournament team this year. Hey, I think this is the deepest team that we've ever had. Hey, 
I think uh, my starting point guard could be first-team All-American. So I hope you guys understand, and I hope really quick, I would just say one more thing, is that I'm not trying to compare myself to the larger situation with Drew Brees and everything, but it was surreal being in a social media you know, mob like that, and I've been in them before. You guys remember RJ Hampton, Australia, all that stuff. But be nice to people on social media. If you disagree with somebody's opinion, you don't have to attack them. You don't have to yell and scream. You don't have to call them every name. You don't have to question their credibility because I'm sure in most cases, whether you disagree or agree with an opinion, um, one, that person probably isn't a terrible person, and two, there's probably a reason that person has that opinion. And so again, that's all my only thing. And obviously in, in the wake of, I've said it to lead the last two shows and I'll end this show by saying, be nice online, be nice online. You, you don't get any, it doesn't make you a better person to attack somebody that you disagree with, to, to go after somebody that you disagree with. It doesn't make you look good. It doesn't make them feel good. And nine times out of 10, probably even more than that, most people that say something that you disagree with have a personal opinion or a personal background situation that makes it why they said what they did. All right, I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I appreciate you, by the way, um, indulging me in that final little moment right there. Uh, but it's been bothering me a little bit. You know, it's been bothering me, and uh, I wanted to get it out there. And now AT moves on. And like I said, if you think I'm the worst person in the world, guess what? My wife says that like twice a week, so I'm over it. So I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. For those of you who are not subscribed, now is a great time because, dude, I just crushed what, 51 minutes straight? And I'll tell you this, too. I'll tell you this. There are times where I break between segments, maybe get some thoughts together, get some notes together, change my notes, whatever. I did that straight off the dome, top of the head. Now, I took a lot of notes before, but that was pretty badass. So if you're not subscribed, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, make sure you're subscribed. And I should mention again, thank you guys so much. As I told you last episode, may we set a downloads record, um, most downloads ever for the show, and by far the most downloads uh, per episode in one given month. And I'll tell you this, um, I'm incredibly grateful to the people at Kentucky Sports Radio. We already have some sponsors lined up for the fall in a moment in time where advertising budgets are shrinking, um, it's a testament to you guys that you continue to listen, you continue to download, you continue to share with friends who you think might be interested because that's how this show grows. So I want to thank you guys so much for everything that you've done. If you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And finally, as I've said a couple times now, if you're not if you're just now getting back into the normal world, now is a great time to catch up on old episodes. Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, Patrick Patterson, Rick Barnes, Nate Oates, Eric Musselman. I've done everything I can to keep you guys entertained during this crazy wild time over the last three months. I think I've done a good job, and I appreciate your support so much. That is it. I've talked long enough. Without a break, I'm going to have lunch. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. And I will be back later this week.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.